volume two chapters five and six of a strange world by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain five qui peut sous le soleil tromper sa destinée churchill was waiting at the inn door to receive his wife he had ridden across on his favourite horse tarpan a long-necked raking bay over sixteen hands and a great jumper a horse with a tremendous stride just such a brute as lenore's lover might have bestridden in that awful night-ride is the man here churchill madge asked anxiously yes love there is nothing to be uneasy about answered her husband replying to her looks rather than to her words yet you seem anxious churchill only in my magisterial capacity tresillian is here we shall commit this fellow in no time it will only need a few words from viola and sir lewis not a syllable about the diamond necklace had mr penwin said to his wife he had replaced the gems in her dressing-case while she slept peacefully in the adjoining room and no one but himself and the burglar knew how far the attempted robbery had gone they all went up the narrow little staircase mr penwin leading his wife up the steep stairs viola and sir lewis following the justice-room was full of people or at least that end of it devoted to the public the other end of it was fenced off and here at a table sat mr tresillian j p and his clerk ready for action look churchill whispered madge as her husband put her hand through his arm and led her towards this end of the room there is the woman at the lodge what can have brought her here mr penwin's glance followed his wife's for a moment yes there stood rebecca of the north lodge sullen even threatening of aspect or seeming so to the eye that looked at her now what a horrible likeness she bore to that ruffian he had dealt with last night mr tresillian shook hands with the two ladies he was a tall stout man with a florid countenance who rode to hounds all the season and devoted himself to the pleasures of the table for the rest of the year it was something awful to the crowd to see him shake hands and smile and talk about the weather just like a common mortal to see him pretend to be so good-natured too when it was his function the very rule of his being to inflict summary punishment upon his fellow-men to have no compassion for pleasant social vices and to be as hard on a drunkard as upon a thief there was only one case to be heard this morning and the thrilling interest of that one case held the spectators breathless women stood on tiptoe peering over the shoulders of the men women who ought to have been at their wash-tubs or baking homely satisfying pasties for the family supper the ruffian was brought in closely guarded by a couple of rural policemen and looked considerably the worse for last night's recapture he had fought like a wildcat for his freedom had given and taken a couple of black eyes had furthermore received a formidable cut across his forehead and had had his clothes torn in the scuffle the two tyrells father and son also in a damaged condition were there to relate proudly how they had pounced upon the offender just as he was clambering over a fence they had told their story already so many times in an informal manner to curious friends and acquaintances that they were prepared to give it with effect presently when they should be put upon oath mr tresillian who went to work in a very slow and ponderous way was still conferring with his clerk in a bass undertone which sounded like distant organ music when rebecca mason pushed her way through the crowd and came to that privileged portion of the room where mr penwin and his wife were sitting i want to know if you're going to press this charge mr penwin she asked quietly enough but heartily of course he is answered madge with a flash of anger do you suppose we are going to overlook such an attempt 
a man breaking into our house after midnight and frightening my sister nearly out of her wits we should never feel secure at the manor if this man were not made an example of pray what interest have you in pleading for him i'll tell you that by and by ma'am i did not ask the question of you but of my master your master and i have but one thought in the matter do you mean to prosecute that man mr penwin asked rebecca looking steadfastly at the squire even while addressing madge she had kept her eyes on churchill's face the brief dialogue had been carried on in an undertone while mr tresillian and the clerk were still muttering to each other the case is out of my hands i have no power to prevent the man's committal yes you have answered rebecca doggedly you have power to do anything here what is law or justice against a great landowner in a place like this you are lord and master here why do you bother me about this burglar he is my son i am sorry any servant of mine should be related to such a scoundrel i am not proud of the relationship answered the lodge-keeper coolly yet there are men capable of worse crimes than entering another man's house criminals who wear smooth faces and fine broadcloth and stand high in the world i'd rather have that vagabond for my son than some of them churchill glanced at his wife as if to consult her feelings but madge so tender and pitying to the destitute and afflicted had an inflexible look just now rebecca was her particular antipathy a blot upon the fair face of penwin manor which she was most anxious to see removed and now this rebecca appeared in a new and still more disagreeable light as the mother of a burglar it was hardly strange therefore that mrs penwin should be indisposed to see the law outraged in the cause of mercy i regret that my wish to serve you will not allow me to condone a felony on behalf of your son said churchill with slow distinctness and meeting that piercing gaze of the gipsies with as steady a look in his own grey eyes the attempt was too daring to be overlooked a man breaks into my house at midnight naturally with some evil intent still not a word about the diamonds which he had recovered from the burglar's person he did not break into your house argued rebecca you left your windows open and he walked in he had been drinking i know and hardly knew where he was going or what he was doing if he had had his wits about him he wouldn't have allowed himself to be caught by a girl she added contemptuously he may have been drunk said churchill with a thoughtful look but that hardly mends the matter it isn't pleasant to have a drunken vagabond prowling about one's house what do you say my queen he asked turning to madge with a smile but not quite the smile which was wont to brighten his face when he looked at her will you exercise your prerogative of mercy shall i try what i can do to get this vagabond off with a few days in penwin lock-up instead of having him committed for trial i have no compassion for a man who lifted his hand against my sister answered madge warmly sir lewis told me all about it churchill he saw that villain raise his clenched fist to strike viola's face he would have disfigured her for life or killed her perhaps if sir lewis had not caught his arm so you suppose i am going to plead for such a scoundrel as that come mrs penwin you are a woman and a mother pleaded rebecca you ought to be merciful not at the expense of society justice and order would indeed be outraged if the law were stretched in favour of such a ruffian as your son you're hard lady 
said the gipsy but i think i can say a word that will soften you let me speak to you in the next room looking towards a half-open door that communicated with a small parlour adjoining let me speak with you alone for five minutes you'd better not say no for his sake she urged with a glance at churchill mr penwin rose suddenly with darkening brow and seized madge by the arm as if he would hold her away from the woman i will not suffer any communication between you and my wife he exclaimed you have said your say and have been answered i will do anything i can for you grant anything you choose to ask for yourself with emphasis but your son must take his chance tresillian we are ready lady you'd better hear me pleaded the gipsy that plea weighed lightly enough with madge penwin she was watching her husband's face and it was a look in that which alone influenced her decision i will hear you she said to the gipsy ask mr tresillian to wait for a few minutes churchill madge what are you thinking of cried her husband she can have nothing to say that has not been said already she has had her answer i will hear her churchill and alone that i will was accompanied by an imperious look not so often seen in madge penwin's face never before seen by him she looked at now as you will love he answered very quietly and made way for her to pass into the adjoining room rebecca followed and shut the door between the two rooms there was a faint stir and then the low hum of the little crowd sank into silence every eye turned to that closed door every mind was curious to know what those two women were saying on the other side of it there was a pause of about ten minutes churchill sat by the official table silent and thoughtful mr tresillian fidgeted with the stationery and yawned once or twice the ruffian stood in his place dogged and imperturbable looking as if he were the individual least concerned in the day's proceedings at last the door opened and madge appeared she came slowly into the room slowly and like a person who only walked steadily by an effort so white and wan was the face turned appealingly towards churchill that she looked like one newly risen from some sickness unto death churchill rose to go to her but hesitatingly as if he were doubtful whether to approach her almost as if they had been strangers churchill she said faintly looking at him with pathetic eyes a gaze in which deepest love and despair were mingled at that look and word he went to her put his arm round her and led her gently back to her seat you must get this man off churchill she whispered faintly you must he bent his head but spoke not a word only pressed her hand with a grip strong as pain or death and then he went to mr tresillian who was growing tired of the whole business and was at all times plastic as wax in the hands of his brother magistrate not being troubled with ideas of his own in a general way indeed he had expended so much brain-power in the endeavour to outmanoeuvre the manifold artifices of certain veteran dog-foxes in the district that he could hardly be supposed to have much intellectual force left for the bench i find there has been a good deal of muddle in this business said churchill to him confidentially the man is the son of my lodge-keeper and a decent hard-working fellow enough it seems he had been drinking and strayed into the manor-house in an obfuscated condition last night my servants are most to blame for leaving the doors open and viola saw him and was frightened and made a good deal of unnecessary fuss and then my keepers knocked the fellow about more than they need have done 
so i really think that if you were to let him off with a day or two in the lock-up or even a severe reprimand yes 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 said mr tresillian keeping up a running fire of muttered affirmatives throughout churchill's speech certainly let the fellow off by all means if he had no felonious intention and mrs penwin wishes it ladies are so compassionate yes 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 mr tresillian was thinking rather more about a certain fifteen-acre wheat-field now ready for the sickle than of the business in hand reapers were scarce in the land just now and he was not clear in his mind about getting in that corn so instead of swearing in witnesses and holding a ceremonious examination mr tresillian disappointed the assembled audience by merely addressing a few sharpish words to the delinquent and sending him about his business with a warning never more to create trouble in that particular neighbourhood lest it should be worse for him the offender was further enjoined to be grateful to mr and mrs penwin for their kindness in not pressing the charge and thus the business was over and the court rose the crowd dispersed slowly grumbling not a little about justice's justice and deeply disappointed at not having seen the strange offender committed for trial if it had been one of us a man remarked to a neighbour we shouldn't have got off so easy no growled another if it had been some poor devil had up for licking his wife he'd have got it hot all was over viola and sir lewis dallas who had been indulging in a little quiet flirtation by an open window and not attending to the progress of events were beyond measure surprised at the abrupt close of the proceedings and not a little disappointed for viola had quite looked forward to appearing in the witness-box at bodmin assize court and being cross-examined by an impertinent barrister and then complimented upon her heroism by the judge and perhaps cheered by the multitude nothing could be flatter than this ending it's just like madge exclaimed viola she may make believe to be angry for half an hour or so but that soft heart of hers is melted at the first piteous appeal that horrid woman at the lodge has begged off her horrid son madge whiter than summer lilies did not look in a condition to be questioned just now see how ill she looks said viola to sir lewis they have worried her into a nervous state with their goings-on let us get her away there was no need for sir lewis's intervention churchill led his wife out of the room erect and facing the crowd firmly enough both of them but one pale as death are you going to ride home churchill asked madge as her husband handed her into the carriage yes love i may as well go back as i came on tarpan i had rather you came with us she said with an appealing look as you like dear lewis will you ride tarpan sir lewis looked at viola and then at his boots it was an honour to ride tarpan but hardly a pleasant thing to ride him without straps and then sir lewis would have liked that homeward drive with viola for his vis-a-vis -vis. by all means if mrs penwin would rather you went back in the carriage he said good-naturedly but with a look at viola which meant you know what a sacrifice i am making that drive home was a very silent one viola was suffering from reaction after excitement and leaned back with a listless air madge looked straight before her with grave fixed eyes gazing into space and still there was not a cloud in the blue bright sky and the reapers standing amongst the tawny corn turned their swart faces towards the squire's carriage and pulled their moistened forelocks 
and thought what a fine thing it was for the gentry to be driving swiftly through the clear warm air lolling back upon soft cushions and with no more exertion than was involved in holding a silk umbrella but how white madame penwin looks said one of the men a native of the place to his mate she don't look as if the good things of this life agreed with her she looks paler and more tired-like than you nor me six this is more strange than such a murder is they were in madge's dressing-room that spacious many-windowed chamber with its closed venetians which was cool and shadowy even on a blazing august day like this they were alone together husband and wife face to face two white faces turned towards each other blanched by passions stronger and deeper than it is man's common lot to suffer they had come here straight from the carriage that brought them back to the manor-house and they were alone for the first moment since madge had heard rebecca mason's petition churchill she said slowly with agonized eyes lifted to his face i know all all that woman could tell and she showed me she stopped shuddering and clasped her hands before her face her husband stood like a rock and made no attempt to draw nearer to her he stood aloof and waited i know all she repeated with a passionate sob and i remember what i said when you asked me to be your wife you were too poor we were too poor i could not marry you because of your poverty it was my worldliness my mercenary decision that influenced you that urged you to oh churchill half the fault was mine god give me leave to bear half the burden of his anger she flung herself upon her husband's shoulder and sobbed there clinging to him more fondly than in their happiest hour her arms clasping him round the neck her face hidden upon his breast with such love as only such a woman can feel love which supreme in itself rises above every lesser influence what you touch me madge you come to my arms still you shed compassionate tears upon my breast then i am not wholly lost vile as i am there is comfort still my love my fond one fortune gave me nothing so sweet as you oh churchill why why she sobbed he understood the question involved in that one broken word hardly audible for the sobs that shook his wife's frame dearest fate was hard upon me and i wanted you he said with a calmness that chilled her soul a good man would have trusted in providence no doubt and waited unrepiningly for life's blessings until he was grey and old and went down to his grave without ever having known earthly bliss taking with him some vague notion that he was to come into his estate somewhere else i am not a good man my passionate love and my scorn of poverty would not let me wait i knew that by one swift bold act a wicked deed if you will but not a cruel one since every man must die once i could win all i desired fortune had made two men's lots flagitiously unequal i balanced them oh churchill it is awful to hear you speak like that surely you have repented surely all your life must be poisoned with regret yes i have felt the canker called remorse i could surrender all good things that earth can give yes 
let you go from these fond arms beloved if that which was done could be undone and now you will loathe me and we must part part churchill what leave you because you are the most miserable of men no dearest i will cling to you and hold by you to the end of life come what will if it was i who tempted you to sin you shall not bear your burden alone loathe you she cried passionately looking up at him with streaming eyes no churchill i cannot think of that hideous secret without horror i cannot think of the sinner without pity there is a love that is stronger than the world's favour stronger than right or peace or honour and such a love i have given you my angel my comforter would to god i had kept my soul spotless for your sake and for our child churchill for our darling oh dearest if there can be pardon for such a sin as yours and christ spoke words of mercy and promise to the thief on the cross let us strive for it strive with tears and prayers and deepest penitence oh my love believe in a god of mercy the god who sent his son to preach repentance to sinners love let us kneel together to that offended god let us sue for mercy side by side her husband drew her closer to his breast kissed the pale lips with unspeakable tenderness looked into the true brave eyes which did not shrink from his gaze even i who have had you for my wife did not know the divinity of a woman's love until this miserable hour my dearest even to comfort you i cannot add deliberate blasphemy to my sins i cannot kneel or pray to a power in which my faith is of the weakest keep your gentle creed dearest adore your god of mercy but i have hardened my heart against these things too long to find comfort in them now my one glory my one consolation is the thought that lost as i am i have not fallen too low for your love you will love me and hold me knowing my sin and let my one merit be that in this dark hour i have not lied to you i have not striven to outweigh that woman's accusation by some fable which your love might accept no churchill you have trusted me and you shall find me worthy of your trust she answered bravely no act of mine shall ever betray you and if you cannot pray if god withholds the light of truth from you for a little while my prayers shall ascend to him like ever burning incense my intercession shall never cease my faith shall never falter he kissed her again without a word too deeply moved for speech and then turned away from her and paced the room to and fro while she went to her dressing-table and looked wonderingly at the white wan face which had beamed so brightly on her guests last night she looked at herself thoughtfully remembering that henceforward she had a part to act and a fatal secret to keep no wan looks no tell-tale pallor must betray the horrid truth madge said her husband presently after two or three thoughtful turns up and down the room i have not one word to say to you in self-justification i stand before you confessed a sinner of the blackest dye yet you must not imagine that my whole life is of a colour with that one hideous act it is not so till that hour my life had been blameless enough more blameless perhaps than the career of one young man in twenty in our modern civilization. temptation to vulgar sins never assailed me 
i was guiltless till that fatal hour in which my evil genius whispered the suggestion of a prize worth the price of crime macbeth was a brave and honourable soldier you know when the fatal sisters met him on the heath and hissed their promise into his ear and in that moment guilty hope seized upon his soul and already in thought he was a murderer dearest i have never been a profligate or cheat or liar or coward i have concentrated the wickedness which other men spread over a lifetime of petty sins in one great offence and that shall be forgiven cried madge with a sublime air of conviction it shall if you will but repent if to wish an act undone is repentance i have repented for more than two years he answered hark love that is the luncheon-bell we must not alarm our friends by our absence or stay i will go down to the dining-room you had better remain here and rest poor agonized head tender faithful heart what bitter need of rest for both no dear i will go down with you madge answered firmly but let me ask one question first churchill and then i will never speak to you more of our secret that hateful woman you have pacified her for to-day but how long will she be satisfied is there any fear of a new danger i can see none dearest the woman was satisfied with her lot and would never have given me any trouble but for this unlucky accident of her son's attempt last night i will get the man provided for and sent out of the country where you shall never hear of him again the woman is harmless enough and cares little enough for her son but that brute instinct of kindred which even savages feel made her fight for her cub why did you bring her here churchill was that wise i thought it best so i thought it wise to have her at hand under my eye where she could only assail me at close quarters and where she was not likely to find confederates where she could have all her desires gratified and could have no motive for tormenting me it is best perhaps assented madge but it is horrible to have her here the egyptians had a skeleton at their feasts lest they should forget to make the most of their brief span of carnal pleasures it is as well to be reminded of the poison in one's cup of life and now go to our guest churchill your face tells no tale say that i am coming almost immediately my darling i feel you are exacting too much from your fortitude no churchill i shall begin as i mean to go on if i were to shut myself up if i were to give myself time for thought to-day just at first i should go mad he went half unwillingly she stood for a few moments fixed to the spot where he had left her as if lost in some awful dream and then walked dizzily to the adjoining room where she tried to wash the ashy pallor from her cheeks with cold spring water she rearranged her hair with hands that trembled despite her endeavour to be calm changed her dress fastened a scarlet cook in her dark hair and went down to the dining-room looking a little wan and fatigued but not less lovely than she was wont to look what a mad world it seemed to her when she saw her guests assembled at the oval table talking and laughing in that easy unreserved way which seems natural at the midday meal when servants are banished and gentlemen perform the onerous office of carver at the loaded sideboard when hungry people just returned from long rambles over hills and banks where the wild thyme grows or from a desperate croquet match or a gallop across the moorland devour a heterogeneous meal of sirloin perigord pie clotted cream fruits cutlets and pastry and drink deeper draughts of that sparkling devonian cider better a hundred times than champagne than they would quite care to acknowledge if a reckoning were demanded of them 
everybody seemed especially noisy to-day talk flirtation laughter made a babel-like hubbub and at the end of the table sat the squire of penwin calm inscrutable and no line upon the expansive forehead with its scanty border of crisp brown hair showed the brand of cain End of volume two chapters five and six